When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. Um, this is season five, episode 16. 16. 16. We're not going as fast as we did in years past. Like, no. um, okay. Well, that's because we only put one at, like two episodes out in April. And, yeah. But also, you, you and I were both either traveling, on vacation, a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to call April a wash. Yeah, life and work happened certainly in April. But hey, we're back, everybody. Um, we have a guest today, Jill Kushner-Bishop. She's the founder and CEO of Multilingual Connections. Um, and I think that doesn't really do justice of who she is. No. That. Um, she, her background is as a linguistic anthropologist, and that's a lot of, a lot of the interview focused on. And I'm kind of fascinated by it. Um, I want to learn more. Um, so I hope you stick around for the interview. Um, they do translations and transcriptions and all of that kind of stuff. But um, her background is really fascinating to me. Um, this episode, as always, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. You can text me at 513-401-5463. Whew. Um, Want to talk about upcoming events real quick? Yeah. Before we get to jail? Yeah, because um, if you're listening to this, SampleCon is starting up. Yeah, SampleCon is uh, started probably when we launched this, May 16 through 18. Um, and Mary Rose Draper will be there. She is there in Los Angeles right now um, in her new role. And I'm excited for her to soak it all in and bring it back to us. I wish I was there. Um, I've been to almost every SampleCon except for the past two years, but I'll be there next year. I was going to say, you didn't go last year. I think, again, it was in California, but for as long as I've worked at EMI, you have been at SampleCon. Yeah, I've been to everyone until the past two years and regret, I'm kind of regret because I saw the list of people that are there. Um, great speakers, great content as always, and a lot of people that I wish I was seeing in person. Um, so well, Mary will carry the torch for us. Yep. Um, other stuff going on. We had just did a webinar on trends in the landscape. You can still find that on our website. We're doing um, later this week. We're doing the Cincinnati Scurry. Yes. Mental Health Month, and we are raising some money for mental health initiatives um, locally in Cincinnati. We'll send. I'll send a link out on LinkedIn for if you want to help us raise some money. They are taking donations after the event, correct? I'm sure. Yes. And yeah. So we'll put the link in the show notes as well if anyone wants to do you that. You and I are doing it together. With- we are. Um, Matthew, who's in our sales team, and Abby, who's one of our star research managers. We have a meeting today to plan and strategize. You missed our meeting yesterday, which was a lunch. We just sat around and I put all of the potential <laughs> locations on a Google map and we've mapped out our route. I saw that. Stuff. I added a bunch of stuff. We have a form that has all of the 
all the potential locations and things like that with facts. I mean, we're in it to win right. it. Yeah, I've got I've got a plan on how to sabotage the other teams. Which okay. <laughs> um, I think we can say it here because after if people are listening, this has already happened. Um, yeah. So we, we, there's most of the locations are in a central location. You can kind of yep. run to. There's two, really three, two or three locations that are a little far away. And so you can take a scooter or a bike, one of those little electric scooters you find on the street, or like a bike you can rent. I'm thinking about hiding all of those. I'm thinking about coming that morning and just taking every scooter in the city of Covington and taking them across the river to Cincinnati. Except for four. Except for four, which we will take, and then no one will be able to beat us. Um, We'll see how that works. Um, But yeah, looking forward to the scurry. Uh, more information in the show notes uh, help us raise some money for mental health, which is always fantastic. I think the one thing you missed, though, is what our team name is. Oh, yeah. Um, team name is Best Efforts, which is, if you listen to this, you probably understand Best Efforts. It's a, been a joke um, in sampling for a while. Best Efforts is when you send a bid request to a sample company, and they can't really get any, but they'll try. So they say Best Efforts which is kind of, you know, that's kind of funny that you would just say, well, you know, we'll, we'll try. I, if that's that, what our time is. Yeah, I hear that and I assume it's just, oh, I just want you to pay me my minimum fee. I, I'm not going to get yeah. anything, but I would like to give you paid for my efforts. Yeah, we'll get one or two complaints. You know, we'll try. Yep. Um, and, so we all got t-shirts thanks to Roddy Knowles. Shout out to Roddy, who, by the way, just got acquired. We yeah. haven't done the news on that yet. No, we haven't. But his company got acquired by Disco, so we'll hear, see, and hear a lot more of Roddy. Um, man, what a big year for Roddy, by the way. We need to have a, we need to have Roddy on. We should reach out. Yeah, he is a, also an Insight Association laureate, and he we, he just sold a bunch of T-shirts. We bought probably ten or fifteen T-shirts this week, and his company is now a part of Disco. So, man, what a big like month for Roddy. If, and if you are unfamiliar with the store where Roddy sells all of these market research and sampling t-shirts. Yeah. Check out the show notes. We'll put a link in there for him. Awesome. Man, he's going to be, maybe he'll, maybe he'll make a billion dollars selling market research t-shirts. <laughs> maybe he's not going to stay with feedback loop. He's no, I, I'm selling enough t-shirts now. Right. Um, other two things we're doing. The Masters of Marketing Research, the MMR program at the University of Georgia has an Insight Summit. That's August 10th and 11th in Athens. Um, we did our speaker submission last week, I think. Um, hopefully we'll be on stage in Athens, Georgia. It's, it's really a, a secret, awesome conference to go to. Um, if you're not, it's probably under the radar. There'll be a lot of awesome speakers, a lot of good brands, and it's on the campus of the University of Georgia, which is beautiful. I'm so excited about that. I'm going to bring my Bulldog to the Georgia Bulldogs campus. And then September 7th through 9th is the North Central Insights Association Conference in Chicago. I'll be at, is anybody else going with me? Do you know, Brian? I do not know yet. I know okay. we had I know we had wanted to send one other person. Um, yeah. We probably need to discuss who that would be. Yeah. Um, I know I will be up in Chicago that next month. We tried to we tried to talk Priscilla into tying it this together with Insights Marketing Day. It just didn't work out because Insights yeah. Marketing Day is um, October sixth in Chicago. Oh. So man, we're I can't believe we're talking like that's Q four. I know. Oh my gosh, it's so soon. Keep in mind, it's mid May now. May has yeah, we're midway through Q two. Yeah. Um, 
Wow. So, man, a lot going on in research, and um, we'll get to our guest today. Again, it's Jill Kushner-Bishop. She's the founder and CEO of Multilingual Connections, and she's kind of a fascinating person. Um, and here's the interview. Uh, joining me now is Jill Kushner-Bishop. She is the founder and CEO of Multilingual Connections. Jill, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Brian and Brian, for having me here. Yeah, so excited. Um, we did, you know, five minutes ago, we said hi, and I hadn't seen you in forever. And um, it's nice to see you in person. We're doing this via Zoom, so it's, I always like it when I get to see people in person. Um, so, yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, maybe tell people a little bit about your background. I think it's kind of interesting. We'll start with that. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm a linguistic anthropologist uh, by background, uh, not something that people grow up wanting to be or even being able to pronounce. Uh, but I was always interested in language and culture uh, from a young age, um, watching my grandparents alternate between English and Yiddish and trying to figure out what, what each language, the role that each of those two languages played in their lives. Uh, and then what of Yiddish got passed down to me and my friends and where my parents were in terms of language. And so language is just really always interesting to me, both linguistically, but also culturally. And um, I originally decided to be a high school Spanish teacher, but after traveling um, internationally and teaching for a year in Chicago, I realized that there was more that I wanted to study and more travel I wanted to do. And I came across um, linguistic anthropology, which seemed to blend all of my interests. So I applied for graduate programs and I wound up focusing on a dialect of Spanish spoken by Jews who were exiled from Spain in 1492. So kind of a different version of what my grandparents spoke. Um, but I, I expected to stay in academia. And then I got an opportunity uh, when I was working on my dissertation to come back to Chicago uh, and do user research for Sapient, um, something I had no idea what that was. Um, I knew that there was um, a happy hour during an American Anthropological Association meeting. And a bunch of us thought, Free wine and cheese sounded like a good way to spend the evening, and it wound up starting me on the path toward user research. Um, can I interrupt you real quick? I want to go back to your linguistic anthropology background. I'm fascinated by this. Um, does that basically mean you study languages and the impact of culture and the history of it and how that affects kind of current society? Is that how... Uh, layman would describe it? Um, yeah, to some degree. You know, it's, 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 it's different depending on what your focus is, but rather than linguistics that looks at language and isolation of the speakers, linguistic anthropology looks at how people use language. And so, so for some, that really is focusing on the history of language and how it got to where it is today, because language is nothing if not spoken in the mouths of of, of people. Um, it could be how people tell jokes, how they tell stories, um, yeah. why they choose to learn a language or not learn a language, why they would choose to pass on a language to their children or not, um, what their ideologies are about language, how they perform, what they're able to create and perpetuate using language. Uh, and so for me, I, I spent um, hours and hours watching old women sing songs and tell stories and then um, visit with um, Greek Holocaust survivors at a, at kind of a community center and listen to the types of stories that they told about their lives um, it currently and historically. And so it's, um, it, it's storytelling and what people are accomplishing through language. I am, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I've been in research for nearly 30 years and 
I'm so happy we have someone like you in research. That's because <laughs> all of those skills are perfectly relevant for everything we do in research, right? We're trying to understand consumer behavior. And if we have an anthropologist that understands that, it's just amazing that you can help people um, really understand the whys around certain kind of consumer behavior and thought processes, and especially in today's day and age, right? With We're doing so much more um, Zoom calls and Teams meetings, and there's a lot of language that <clears throat> a lot of people probably don't understand, and we're missing each other a little bit. So I'm, first of all, I'm really impressed with your background. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's, you know, there's so many, so many of us get to where we are, not through any intentional decisions along the ways mm -hmm. and through, through opportunities, through doors opening, through doors closing. Um, I certainly never expected that, um, 17 years ago, I'd start a business and that that business would have anything to do with research. Um, but I, from, from user research right after 9-11, we all lost our jobs. And 13 months later, I found an opportunity with Chipotle. Um, they were looking for a language and culture consultant to roll out training programs for their staff, um, who at the time were largely Spanish speaking. And it was the kind of thing that you you see, and you can't even believe that it exists, a language and culture consultant for a burrito chain. That was me to a T. <laughs> and so I spent the entire day modifying my resume and my cover letter. So it was perfect. Um, my husband was also unemployed at that point, like 13 months of our first year in marriage after 9-11. Um, um, I clicked send on my application and I jumped in the shower. And a few minutes later, my husband knocked on the door and said that Chipotle had called. So, um, it was, you know, one of those things that happens, you know, you see it at the right time. It, it took me in directions I never would have expected, but it was certainly the launching point for, uh, or kind of the, um, uh, it kind of brought together a variety of different experiences that I had had professionally and personally, and then created, put me on a path for then starting my own business uh, a couple of years later. Okay. So you would, um, you said, you mentioned Sapient and then you started your own company and tell me about that process. How did you get from, um, consulting with Chipotle um, to um, start my own business? Yeah, sure. So um, at Chipotle, I was overseeing uh, about 130 restaurants in the central region. So Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Texas. I was going in and um, spending time with the line employees, trying to understand what kind of language needs they had so that they could do their jobs better and more safely, make the right burrito, the right time, do very, very focused language training around things like spice levels and quantities. And you know, in order to be an effective employee at that time, you didn't need to be able to discuss complex concepts. You needed to be able to understand if somebody says, I'm on the Atkins diet, what can I eat here? Or um, how spicy is the you know, green tomatillo salsa. So you had to be able to understand very, very focused language. And so we were creating language programs, training programs for them so that they could learn English, job specific English, do their jobs better and move up within the company. And then we were doing Spanish training for the managers to help them create better relationships um, with the employees. And so there was a lot of language and cultural training. Um, but after about a year, I started to think that um, companies like this didn't, programs like this didn't exist in other companies. And there were so many organizations that needed people like me in programs like these that didn't have the luxury of full-time, a uh, full-time team of language and culture consultants. So I started thinking that maybe as I wanted to have flexibility to raise a family, have some more autonomy and ownership in, in what I was doing, I could go off and start my own business and do similar programs for hotels and restaurants and manufacturing facilities. Um, so I did that um, starting in 2005, but very very quickly afterwards, a client contacted me and asked if we could translate an employee handbook. And I said, sure, 
and I Googled Spanish translation agency and I found an agency and I sent it and I was like, wow, that's a really good, that's a good business. Maybe we could do that too. And so in the same way that we found the right people for language training, I started finding the right people for translation and then for transcription. And it's actually transcription that brought me back into research. Um, we started getting requests for transcribing qualitative research, um, life histories, focus groups, in-depth interviews from university researchers. And, um, and then little by little, we started to get corporate research requests. And so that kind of brought us back to my, my personal and my professional roots. So we're, our company has grown and changed a lot over these 17 years. Um, but essentially, we're helping people create connections. And so whether that's through translation or um, transcription or now multilingual moderation, which is a new service for us, uh, it's about giving people the right language experts and cultural experts to accomplish what they need to do. Um, yeah, interesting. Are you still doing kind of the consulting part of it or? Not as much anymore. And so yeah. we, um, the language training was a wonderful part of, of the business. And we opened a language school for kids and for adults. And we were all about language training and translation. And then I realized I couldn't do it all and do it well. So we closed all of the language training programs, but our, under our translation services, we do have linguistic consulting where sometimes a client, um, before they even write a survey or think about translating a survey, if they know they're going into a market, they want to talk to somebody who is an insider um, and understand, you know, how will these questions be received? You know, what kinds of things do we need to modify in terms of um, education levels or um, terminology? Or can we use, we want to use gender neutral terminology. Is that culturally relevant, linguistically possible? You know, how do I think about approaching this? And so a, a small part of what we do is consulting, um, but the bulk of the work is on the translation, transcription, and now on the moderation side of things. Okay. Um, and so I, for, I have a feeling, maybe I'll give you a little bit of my background. I was a full service market researcher, and I always thought sample was just one little part of research that was not complex. It was just trying to find people to take a survey, right? How hard can that be? Now that I've worked in sampling for close to 10 years, I understand it is an entire field of um, science and art of ensuring that the right type of person gets to a survey. And I have spent the last 10 years of my career learning and studying and trying to become an expert in it. I have a feeling translations and transcriptions is probably even to the next level because like from a layman, you know, I can, I can find somebody, I can Google how to translate English to Spanish and vice versa, but there are so many different types of that. I know that, you know, someone that speaks Spanish in Argentina is a little bit different than someone that speaks Spanish in Spain. And that's me, very layman, not understanding it. I have 100% a feeling this accurate. Is, that's true. There's so <laughs> much like art and understanding the background where you almost, I think you almost have to have and linguistic anthropologists kind of heading up this, right? Am I correct in that? Yeah, you know, you, you touch on two points. One is that you don't know, you, you really don't know until you know. Like, you don't even know what you don't know until all of a sudden yeah. you know. So you didn't know how much you didn't know about sample. And most right. people don't know what they don't know. They have no idea what is what translation really is. They think you just, like, yep. put words in, and then you type, 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 and it comes out the other side. It's a pasta maker or yes. you know, just, like, input, output. Um, but it is so much more than that. And your other point about um, sample being art and science, I talk about that a lot with translation and that there's – 
the science part is about accuracy. Like there is, there is yep. a word for something and that is the science part, but the art is, is translated in a way that, that it's not going to sound like a translation so that it's going to sound natural, um, linguistically, culturally, um, so that, you know, for us, when we assign a project, we look for, first of all, professional translators and then native speakers of the target language, but then of the region too, and the industry yeah. expertise, and then the technology requirements. And so there's so many levels to get to that point. Um, and so just because something is technically accurate does not make it a, a, an appropriate translation. And we hear that all the time from people that have had bad experiences with translation and they say, it sounds like it was Google translated or it sounded really yeah. funky. How do you avoid that? And you avoid that by making sure you have the right people who understand that it's part language and part culture. Yeah, that's something that you can't learn via Google, right? No. You really need someone, like you said, even within like the region of the, I know there are certain regions that have just so many different dialects. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, again, I'm a layman at this and I'm very, I don't even know what I don't know, but I would think that the kind of the casual conversation and the how people talk in day-to-day -day life um, is so important to try to translate and get the real meaning behind what they're saying. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, but huh, this is kind of fascinating to me. Um, uh, and Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that there's a new kind of division within translation called transcreation, where when it comes to very creative marketing content or movie titles, for example, it's not even translation. It's a re-envisioning of the content completely. So you could take something like Orange is the New Black from Netflix. You can translate that accurately in 20 different languages, but is it going to have that same connotation? And so how do you create something new that's going to have the same kind of hip feel, informal, convey that message, but in a way that um, you often have to completely depart from the original. And so you need yeah. not just translators, but copywriters and creative marketers yeah. who can really drive that home. That's so interesting. All right, I'm going to ask you a question that I we didn't prepare for, so we might have to yeah. remove it. I've <laughs> been doing this for a long time, and America has changed so much since you've been doing this, and to where America has probably its own version of Spanish speaking, I'm assuming, because of this emergence of so many different types of Hispanics, you know, from Latin America, from Mexico, from the Caribbean, from other cultures, and you have second and third generation Hispanics speaking probably a little bit different language. Have, have you experienced that challenge in America as it's kind of changing and almost creating its own language? Is that true? Well, it, it certainly has changed and, and translating for the U.S. Hispanic market is challenging because of that. And so, yeah. um, you know, back to the point about having the native, uh, a native speaker and speaker of the region in the U.S. Now you have so many regional dialects that it is going to be challenging to translate in a way that every single person would say, that's exactly, you know, that's my language. So what we have to do is, is translate as neutrally as possible so that um, yeah. so that everyone will understand it, even if they wouldn't necessarily have chosen those words. Um, but it can, you have to be really careful. And so if you're marketing to, to a primarily um, Mexican community, like, you know, in Chicago, that you, you might want to tailor the message a little bit than if it's going to be more Puerto Rican. Um, but if you're, if you're translating for the entire U.S., you just have to make a judgment call ultimately and know that everyone will understand, even if it's not going to be um, you know, exactly, exactly, um, 
feel like putting on an, you know, an old shoe of their own. Right. I don't know if that really makes sense. But. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Sure. Um, talk about more about global research. Do you, do you help a lot of companies with like more global, like various random languages? And not, I'm, we focus a lot on U.S. and yeah. Spanish, but do you do a lot of global work as well? Absolutely. So um, we work with both brands and um, agencies who are doing global research. And so for some, it's survey, uh, survey work. So translating the outbound surveys and the open ends back into English. Um, so we could have, um, we've had projects where we had 35 linguists lined up on a Friday night because all of the opens were coming in on Friday night. They needed them back translated to English yeah. by Sunday afternoon. So Monday morning, the team could dig right in. Um, so, and that was seven or nine different languages. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it could be legal terms for an app that is being used for research. Yeah. Uh, it could be transcriptions of IDIs, um, you know, that are happening via Zoom all around the world. So I would say of our research work more is for global needs than for U.S. needs. But we okay. do U.S. as well. Okay. Um, and then are you seeing any trends? Like the world has kind of changed in the past couple of years. Any trends or anything that you've seen um, change in the past couple of years? I think the the recognition that... You're going to get better quality insights if you go to the native language of your participants. Um, you know, lots of people speak English around the world, and that's very true. But if you're really looking for their authentic voice uh, and the nuance that makes the difference, um, talking to them in a language that is their own is going to help you accomplish it much more significantly than just saying, oh, they speak English, so we'll just do, you know, the interviews in English. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, just from... Like I watch TV shows in Australia or Scotland and it's almost a completely different language, even though it's English. Right. Yeah. And so just within English, you almost need a translator. I couldn't even imagine how complex it gets across other languages and cultures. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's expensive. I won't lie, you know, doing all of this work in, a, in another language, whether yes. it's translation, transcription, or you have a simultaneous interpreter, it adds cost. But if you're going through all of the effort to do this, don't cut corners there. Plan for it, anticipate it, budget it in, and you know that you're going to get better quality output. Well, that's that's how I was going to close this part of the interview is um, I'm convinced that someone needs someone like you to help them in situations like this. You need a consultant that understands all the nuances in language. It is vital to the research process, right? One word can be wrong and you might make a different business decision. I talk about what we're trying to do is help brands make the right business decision a lot. Yeah. And nuance in language is probably one of the most important things that I can imagine in research. For sure. And we also, as, as agencies, professional translation agencies, we also need to be able to, to consult with our clients and let them know that sometimes machine translation is okay. And if, yeah. you know, if you're making judgment calls and there's, you know, there are different requirements and different levels of service. And so if your yep. budgets are tight, cut corners here, but spend money here. And so yeah. having a trusted partner means we're going to be honest and not just try to sell you on, you know, what we think is best, but sometimes realistically, you just can't do it all. And so right. having somebody who can kind of walk you through the pros and cons of that is really valuable. Awesome. Um, man, I learned a lot in the last couple of minutes. I'm so <laughs> glad. It's always I'll... so fun for me to talk about this. Yeah, I love it. Um, if people uh, want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Probably on right. LinkedIn. Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can go to multilingualconnections.com. Um, yeah, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Okay. Um, 
I want to close the interview with some four P's, get to know you a little bit better. And you don't have to answer all four of these, but this is uh, an old segment we've done since the start of this podcast. And we took the marketing mix and we changed up the, the P's a little bit. So first P is perform. What the people don't know about you? Do you have hidden talents? I bet you do. Well, I'll actually say the opposite. My, I have zero talent um, in the kitchen. Um, I cannot cook to save my life. Uh, and thankfully, my husband and our teen son um, do that well. But it, it's horrifying to me to think of having to make an entire meal. I love it that you switched up RP with like, <laughs> this is what I'm really bad at. That's awesome. <laughs> it's really important to know not just your strengths, but know your weaknesses too. Absolutely. <laughs> I am very honest about them. <laughs> um, next P is pandemic. What's something fun or quirky that you started doing during the quarantine? Is there anything that you've done? Yeah. Yeah. We started fostering puppies. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So over the last year or so, we've fostered about 28 puppies, um, usually in, in sets of two seven to eight weeks. So little teeny ones for about a week at a time. So we get them all deticked and fleed and get them fed and loved and socialized. And then they're typically adopted the week later. Oh my gosh. I'm so, I'm a big dog person. My dog just had surgery. So I'm really Aww. sensitive to dog stuff right now. And yeah. I follow a lot of dog people on, on TikTok, which is yeah. one of my pandemic quirks that started. I became addicted <laughs> to TikTok. But um, man, what a 20 gr- something puppies that we Yeah, had. over the year. Yeah, and it was no. really nice for us to connect with the neighborhood. We had just we moved in to our new house a few days after the stay at home order. And okay. so as we had puppies in our yard, people would come by because everybody loves a puppy. And so it was a way for us to interact with neighbors and community yeah. and kids would come running and it, they just brought such joy to everyone. Um, so we loved it and we will be doing more. That, Brian, that's one of the top two or three responses we've had of that question by far, right? I'm honored. It's up there, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a great thing to do. I'm just sitting around watching marble racing and you're like saving puppies' lives and bringing joy to the community. <laughs> it's, right. it's selfish too, though. <laughs> oh, that, well, yeah. Um, pampering, what are your top indulgences? Um, Twizzlers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Licorice. Um, and, uh, an occasional massage at like those places that you can just walk into at the mall and, yeah. uh, get a 20 minute table massage with no appointments. Yep. Okay. And pastime, so, somewhat similar to pampering. What's the favorite thing that you do when you have some free time? Yeah, I love walking. Uh, and yep. there's a canal near our house that goes up to Lake Michigan and to the Baha'i Temple. And so it's like a three-mile loop for us. Uh, and so I love going out on a, all seasons and walking up to the Baha'i Temple and back. Wow. Um, all right, you cool. take the puppies with you. No, <laughs> they drag me down. <laughs> I'd have to hold them in my arms. They're not walkable at that point, like not leashable. <laughs> right. Um, Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. Real exciting. I hope to see you. I'll be in Chicago actually in September. Right. Our Insights Association Fall Conference will be in um, Chicago in September. So awesome. um, look for more information on that to come. So it's really nice to talk to you about this. I'm fascinated by what you do and what you've done in your career. So I'm, I'm hoping that people reach out to you with any kind of crazy questions because you can answer them. Bring them on. I love them. Thank All you right. both so much. I really appreciate it. And have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Jill. Okay. Take care.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.